All across the country, our communities are seeing real-life consequences of unchecked crime. After nine people were shot at a mall in South Carolina, police arrested a 22-year-old suspect, but he was quickly released after he paid 10% of a $25,000 bond. In Los Angeles, a gang member was thrilled to learn that District Attorney George Gascon was downgrading his murder charge. The convicted killer who was originally facing life without parole praised Gascon and vowed to get his name tattooed on his face. It's looking real good. Now we got a new DA in LA, so they're gonna. I got caught on the 14th, fool. Right there in Compton, Thursday, so they're gonna drop a gang of, um, like my gun enhancement, my gang enhancement. My gang enhancement's 10 years, fool, for being a gang member. And then the gun and the commission of the crime. I don't get that name on my face. That's a champ right there. There's been a lot of people recently talking about the revolving door of the criminal justice system the deadly policies of rogue prosecutors. What they're saying now, the Fraternal Order Police was saying nearly 800 days ago. In December 2019, Fraternal Order Police leaders from across the country met at the White House to sound the alarm of a looming crisis in America, one caused by rogue prosecutors, activist judges, and radical policies like bail reform. Today we're joined by National Fraternal Order Police Vice President Joe Gamaldi to discuss the crime crisis, rogue prosecutors, and the current state of policing in America. I'm Patrick Hughes, National President of Fraternal Order Police, and this is The Blue View. Well, Joe, thanks for, for joining us again today. Uh, just for any new uh, of our viewers that would be tuning in, can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been a police officer for 17 years. I uh, started my career in the NYPD, where I did uh, three years there. But, I mean, I loved what I did for a living. I just uh, didn't necessarily like the environment I was in. You know, uh, cost of living is very expensive in New York. So I was living in a shoebox apartment, you know, the type that's so small. When you open your bedroom door, it hits your bed. So I decided that wasn't really it for me. Uh, moved down to Houston about 14 years ago. Uh, been here ever since. Uh, best decision of my life coming down to Texas. And, uh, you know, shortly after I got in the department there, I got involved in our local lodge, uh, Lodge 110 here in Houston. Um, I rose up the ranks through there. I was a vice president there for five years. I was the president for three years. And while I was a president there, uh, I ran for national office here with the with the FOP. And thankfully, the members saw fit to elect me the national vice president. I've been doing that now for the last two and a half years. So uh, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, and, and, and doing a great job at it. Uh, at, at some of our most trying times, uh, uh, we've really uh, been very successful in, in changing the narrative and talking about the true issues rather than all of the rhetoric. Uh, and you play a big part of that. Thanks. Thanks for, for all that you do. You know, Joe, uh, look at uh, just the past 18 months and the journey we've taken. Uh, it's been some very, very difficult times for us. So let's say the last two years, you know, dealing with uh, COVID and, and, then, and then all of the unrest and, and all of the challenges that it brought. And we've been able to manage through a lot of these. But there's one challenge that we have been talking about for quite some time. And, and one that is, you know, predates uh, all of the unrest. It, it has to do with our uh, just lack of consequences for, uh, for violent criminals. And uh, rogue prosecutors and bail reform, uh, all of these things. Uh, you know, we're seeing this trend. Uh, it seems that 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 we're 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 changing and recognizing the importance of law enforcement. We're talking about key issues to improve the quality of law enforcement with all of the stakeholders. But the one part of this that we're still struggling with is rogue prosecutors who. Uh, who rather than uh, rather than prosecuting criminals, are making it easy for violent uh, offenders to get out and continue to create, you know, commit violent crimes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, and not just the rogue prosecutors, but the activist judges, too, who continue to let these folks out over and over again. And I think it's important to kind of start at the beginning here. We at the FOP started sounding the alarm about crime back in 2019 because we saw where this trend was going. We saw prosecutors in urban communities, these rogue DAs, continuing to give sweetheart deals, probation, um, you know, deferred adjudication for violent criminals with, with violent histories. And I mean, this, this isn't rocket science here. When someone points a gun at someone and robs them or shoots them, we should be seeking the maximum and throwing the book at them, not handling them with velvet gloves. But we saw what was happening and we started to warn the community then. We also saw a lot of these activist judges who were just letting people out on pinky promise PR bonds. You know, we have people that are shooting people, getting a PR bond, getting out and shooting people again. And this is happening over and over and over again. And not a day goes by that you don't see another example of it happening. I mean, we literally just had a mass shooter in South Carolina who shot 14 people. He got a $25,000 bond, which we know he only has to post $2,500. And he was right back out on the streets after doing that horrific crime. So we started talking about this back in, in 2019 when we saw the uptick in crime. So for all the people, by the way, that love to jump on this and say, well, crime is only up because of COVID. That's BS. It's, it's a false narrative. Crime was going up before the COVID lockdowns. And in fact, every other industrialized nation in this world who locked down saw crime reductions, except for the United States. So don't use the COVID argument. We have a toxic cocktail that has been shoved down the throats of law-abiding Americans. We need to get these prosecutors enforcing the laws on the books. We need to make sure the judges are actually doing their job and holding people accountable. And we need to start supporting law enforcement in general. I mean, we've been demonized and denigrated for the better part of a decade. And what are we seeing? We can't fill academy classes anymore. No one wants to take this job. Retirements are up 45% nationwide. Resignations are up 20%. Uh, recent uh, news out of Chicago, 82% decline in applications. In New Jersey, they saw a 90% reduction. You know, Pat, you and I have been very clear on this. If this doesn't turn around, our profession is going to die. And the only solution that politicians are going to be able to come up with is to lower standards, which they're already doing. They're starting to make changes for drug use and criminal uh, criminal histories, or they're going to have to start reducing services to our community. And you know what's funny? As we talked about this crime, uh, and, and you know, crime's never been worse in, in our generation. I mean, 2021 was the most violent year for murders in 25 years. 25 years. And a recent study just came out that saw 2,500 extra black men were murdered in 2021 over years past. Nobody seems to be talking about that. So I guess Black Lives Matter only really fits when, when that's conducive to their narrative, but we don't want to talk about it otherwise. So our black and brown communities are disproportionately impacted by this crime wave, and nobody seems to want to do anything about it but us. And then when you have people that are going to come on and reduce services because we can't have enough police officers on the streets, which impact, which communities do you think are going to be impacted even more? It, it, it's sickening what some politicians and some in the media have done and have spun this tale that somehow police officers on the problem 
when we know what the problem is and we know how to fix it. You know, Joe, over three years ago, I wrote a journal article in the FOP journal. And uh, I talked about an old, uh, not, not old, uh, you know, just a, a, a principle that existed in law enforcement for quite some time. It, it sort of evolved when, when uh, the media turned it into something negative. But there's a lot of solid information uh, in this theory. And, and the theory is, is that when you have a broken window, uh, you have a broken window in, in, in say, in an abandoned building or a factory, and you don't fix that window. What you're doing is encouraging, you're encouraging more decay. Uh, and it's a simple principle. It, it, it's much deeper than that in the law enforcement realm. But really what it says is, is when you, when, when you, when you have a healthy environment, that healthy environment encourages, you know, healthy results. When you have decay, then decay uh, has a, a tendency to, to grow. Uh, so that the, the broken windows theory is something that that has guided law enforcement for years uh, back when this principle saying, you know, first came about uh, had to do with the uh, having an abandoned car, uh, leaving an abandoned car and putting it somewhere and then taking and doing damage to that car and then seeing what happened. It just encouraged more damage. And so this whole theory builds from there. And so law enforcement, we always look at uh, in our communities. Let's 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 find those things that are broken. Let's address them. Let's have meaningful discussion on how collectively we're all part of the discussion because we all want the same thing and, and follow that forward. Well, three years ago, I wrote an article about broken windows and I made the comparison that when you look at the modern day broken windows, it is the failure of our system. It is district attorneys. It is prosecutors. It's rogue, it's judges that are are minimizing the the uh, act the, the actions that are taken, the criminalization of of crimes, uh, you know, and decriminalizing crimes that is creating the new decay in American society. And yet here we are, here we are, years later, looking at the same exact thing, and we've been signaling this concern for quite some time, and it seems to have really grown. Uh, and in a completely different direction. And I know you, I see you, you know, you're, you're, I see you want to respond to that. So, uh, you know, broken windows is a great theory. Um, it, it, uh, it, it kind of gotten some, uh, you know, some negative publicity at, at some point when the media turned it into something else, but it, but it works. It works. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. Broken windows works. I mean, the American police officer delivered historic crime reductions to our urban communities in the 20 years prior to this huge crime spike. I mean, it really, it truly led to an urban renaissance because we were willing to prosecute crimes, okay? We were willing to enforce the laws we had on the books and criminals understood that if they stepped out of line, there was gonna be consequences for those actions. There's no consequences anymore. And we have now an entire generation of people from ages, you know, 15, 18, who have now come up in the next three years and they're coming into their prime crime doing years who realize that nothing they do is going to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. They're probably going to get a PR bond. They're probably going to be right back out. They're going to get a sweetheart deal from the prosecutor. So they only escalate their violence and we're seeing it across the board. Last year, we had 16 American cities experience their highest murder rates on record. Places like Philly, Portland, Austin, Indianapolis, the list goes on and on. I think what is so frustrating for, for us in law enforcement is that we know how to fix what we're seeing in our urban communities. And, and it's what you talked about. We bring back broken windows theory. We vehemently prosecute violent crime. We make sure we fund and staff our police departments because police officers are just one component of the criminal justice system. 
we can lock people up all day and we can do overtime programs to flood the streets with officers. And, and those are good things. Uh, New York is doing that right now in their subway system and they're bringing back uh, their broken windows theory policing. But if the back end, the DAs and the judges aren't doing their job, we're just going to continue to catch people and they're going to be letting out right out the back door while we're still doing the paperwork. I mean, I still work the streets right now. I work night shift and we catch people that are doing robberies and burglaries and everything else. They're laughing at us in the back seat because they know they're going to go right down and get out. They're going to be out before the ink's dry on the paperwork. But, you know, I think what's lost in all of this is just the damage this is doing to our urban communities. We're losing them for a generation. Look at what's happening. Stores are closing. We got Walgreens closing dozens of stores. Rite Aid is closing dozens of stores. Grocery stores are not opening in those areas because they know it's not safe. So that creates a food desert where people have to travel miles just to go to the grocery store. Banks will not open new locations and are closing old locations in those areas. So it creates a financial desert where if you want to do any kind of banking, once again, you have to travel miles just to do it. Parents don't feel safe taking their kids to school and they can't find teachers to fill the positions in these urban communities. So shame on anyone who continues to push defund the police or, or pushing for this, you know, holistic approach to criminal justice because these politicians and these academics, they pushed these woke revolving door criminal justice policies on the community. And they promised them, don't worry, folks, this is going to make your community safer. It was a lie. They had no statistical data to back up anything. They had no scientific studies to back it up. They subjected our urban communities to a failed social experiment. And now we are all living in the aftermath. They should be ashamed of themselves. But they should at least have the decency to back off it now and support police officers so that we can go in and fix what they broke. Yeah, Joe, it's, it's, it's no anybody in law enforcement has been here for, for a while knows uh, one thing for certain. That is that uh, the majority of the violent crime that we see in this country is committed by a very small percentage of people who commit violent crime. Exactly right. And, and the, when we take those violent criminals off the street, we have control. Uh, we do control the, the increase of crime or we decrease crime. It, it has to do it's directly proportionate to taking these people who prey on others uh, out of the out of the, the, the ability to be able to do so. And, mm -hmm. and, and we're failing to do it. We're failing to do it now. We're seeing that uh, that an increase in crime, and you are so correct. The crime is occurring in the very communities that uh, that we claim that we're trying to help. Uh, and so there's there's definitely a, there needs to be a a, a, a course change here. Um, I think we we all agree that uh, there are a lot of issues that we need to discuss as a society uh, to fix. Uh, but th the problem is is that it is too easy to blame law enforcement for everything that ails every community. Uh, reality is, is most of the things that that contribute to the quality of life within a community are way beyond the hands of law enforcement. And until we do look at all of these aspects, this is this is a wheel with a whole lot of spokes. And when everyone is doing their job and doing exactly what they need to do to improve the quality of life within a community, we see it across America. We see communities that are thriving. They're the same size of some of the communities that are not. It's because we have broken spokes on the wheel. And the day that we start focusing on having everyone moving towards one direction, and that is safe and thriving communities, until we get to to get to that point, we're going to, we're going to see this broken this broken system in cities that are just not connected uh, in in addressing all of the key factors that contribute to our quality of life. 
Yeah, and you know, I think the public is really taking notice. A recent Gallup poll said eight out of 10 Americans believe that crime is a serious problem in this country. And another recent poll just said that 76% of black Americans want more police officers in the neighborhood, not less. And 74% of Hispanic Americans want more police officers in the neighborhood, not less. So it kind of flies in the face of the narrative that somehow police officers in the community are at each other's throats. It's just not the case. It's not the reality on the ground. Like when I'm out there patrolling, people want me in their neighborhood because they know instinctively that police officers equal safety, no matter how much the media or some politicians try to convince them otherwise. I just can't understand how anybody could not be for throwing the book at someone who shoots someone. Like this is not a partisan issue. You know what I mean? This is just public safety. Everybody should want to support making communities safe because they deserve, urban communities deserve to thrive like everyone else. They deserve to be able to take their kids to school in a safe environment. They deserve to have the best funded schools and to be able to, to, to prosper. And I, I just can't understand how anyone could be on the other side of that argument, wanting to be light on criminals while we're seeing the, our community suffer further and further. And, and I will say this, regardless of whether you're on the right or the left, Anybody who is not a law and order candidate is coming for a reckoning because the public is tired of this crap. They're tired of seeing repeat felons out there murdering people. They're tired of seeing crime and disorder in their neighborhood. They're tired of seeing the headlines of, you know, dozens of people shot over Easter weekend. And, uh, you know, if you're a politician who's still pushing defund the police, you better wake up quick or your ass is going to be out of a job. You know, we've seen this uh, shift that's happening happening throughout uh, the throughout the country. Um, and just a contrast, it's almost a tale of two cities. Uh, there are places, again, as I said, that are thriving because they recognize that. There are places who, who uh, in 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 the initial stages of, of all the unrest, uh, have taken taken steps because, in, in the word of in, you know, in in the phrase of uh, police reform, that recognize that some of these uh, needed to be adjusted and are doing so. I, and, and I'm of the belief that. Uh, I'm not so focused uh, on how we got here. I mean, we've been through two years of, of through this. We can we can analyze it all we want. We know where the breakdowns were that brought us here. I'm more concerned on where do we go from here because uh, we're doing irreparable harm. And I want to I want to shift gears just a little bit if we could. And uh, and I because I, I think it's it's vitally important. We shouldn't be having law enforcement about where we go. We shouldn't have discussions about law enforcement and where we go from here without recognizing two major crises. Uh, that are worth uh, that are worth noting every single time we talk. Uh, one of them is is the damage. We've already talked about the the challenges of of having law enforcement officers. You know, we we have people leaving our profession at such a high rate, and we have such a low percentage of the next wave. That next, the best and the brightest that are going to come in and shape law enforcement for the future. They're not taking this job, and they're not taking it because many people have changed us from the people we are to a thing. Law enforcement officers are not a thing. We live in communities and we live in these same communities. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're human. You know, we, we raise our families. We do, we have the same wants and hopes as everyone else. Uh, and we're, we're, we're demonized. Uh, then that demonization has taken its toll. That's why people aren't taking this job. And, and, and if we don't recognize real quick that law enforcement officers are ordinary people that are called upon to do some pretty extraordinary things at times, if we don't recognize that, then then we're never going to fix this problem, this manpower. This is a crisis that is coming, and it's not a crisis that can be fixed overnight. This damage that has happened over two years is going to take more than five years to fix because that's how long it takes to hire 
a quality officer and put them through all of the training and get them to an effective level to fill all of the years of experience that has walked out of the door because of this time. So we really, really need to focus on, on the irreparable harm that's being done. The second thing is, is we have law enforcement officers that are so committed, even in this environment, who suit up and show up every single day and go to work and make a difference in their communities. And they're doing it at a time when they are not able to take off, they're constantly working because of the manpower shortages. They're doing it under, under such criticism by so many people. In some of these cities, officer wellness, you know, we're talking ordinary people. Ordinary people that are, are, that are, are dealing with, with issues that most people like to, th to think don't exist. And somehow we think that this thing that we call a police officer is not going to be affected by it. And, you know... When we, when something is broken in the service of others, we have a moral and a fiduciary responsibility to fix it. Officer wellness needs to be a number one factor in what we're doing to the people who have, who are committed and still on a job every single day, making a difference. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and the staffing crisis is, is here and it's real and, and it's going to be even longer than five years. I say it's going to take a decade. I mean, if you are an educated you know, a good person who's interested in a life of service, why the hell would you want to take this job right now? You're, you want to make a difference in your community, but you don't want to be called a murderer every day. You don't want people spitting in your face on the front line of a protest. You just want to make a difference in your community. So if you're interested in a life of service, you're going to vote with your feet and you're going to do something else because you're not going to want to deal with all these other things. And, and, you know, I know that the majority of the community supports us. I mean, all the polling data shows it, but just anecdotally, when you're out on the streets, people come up and thank you for your service and they appreciate you being in their neighborhoods. But we need everybody to support law enforcement across all the spectrum, across, you know, politicians, media, everybody. Listen, when we do something wrong, hold us accountable. When we're doing something right, you should be highlighting that as well, <clears throat> because we're not going to be able to convince anyone to want to take this job. And when they lower standards, which we talked about earlier, that's only going to exacerbate the problem. If you start hiring people who are not qualified, that's going to lead to problems down the road. And when we're so desperately trying to build trust with the community and regain their support, is it really the best idea to then start hiring people who don't fit the bill of what we would have hired just a couple years ago? I mean, that's insane when you think about it. Like, you want to be hiring the absolute best and brightest, but we're not going to be able to attract that because for the better part of a decade, we've been treated like crap. So that needs to be fixed. And on the topic of officer wellness, I, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that we see the absolute worst of humanity every single day that we're out on these streets. And that takes a toll on every single officer, whether they admit it or not. Now, some departments are doing a very good job in offering services to their to their officers. But right now, as you mentioned, we've got overtime programs we have to work. You can't take an extra day off for your kids, you know, soccer game or softball game. That has an impact, too. So as crime continues to spike and they continue to flood the streets with police officers, burnout is a very real problem, something that we all need to be concerned about. But there's a lot of departments who aren't really paying attention to officer wellness. They just look at us as just another cog in the machine. And, and if there's police officers watching this right now, you know, internally, they know exactly what I'm saying right now. That they do not, a lot of, you know, police chiefs and a lot of administrators, 
They don't care about the individual officers or what's going on with that officer's family. They just care that they're going to show up to work. They're going to put people in jail and they don't care about the impact on that officer's mental health. And as you said, they have a responsibility as a leader within our community to make sure we are taking care of our officers. But you know what? Since they've done such a poor job in the past, at least the FOP is stepping up and making sure that we have wellness services available for all of our members. Yeah. And Joe, I, it, it, these, again, some challenging times for us in our profession, but, but yet we still suit up and show up every single day, even with these challenges. And it's time for law enforcement. It's time for the public to, 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 to speak. Look, they, their polls are showing repeatedly over and over and over again, the vast overwhelming majority of Americans recognize the role that law enforcement plays in, in each one of the, in the safety and quality of life in each one of their communities. It is important for us uh, to, to carry that message further than just simply taking polls. It's you know, Pat, one, yeah. well, one more thing. I just, I, I wanted to touch on this too. You know, I think it's important too, that people understand that police work has gotten infinitely more dangerous over the last few years. You know, I, I'm, our job was never safe. Don't, don't get me wrong here. It was always dangerous, but it has been taken up a notch the last few years. Last year, we had 346 police officers shot in this country. That's the highest number since we started tracking the data about six or seven years ago. This year already, we're up to about 116 officers shot, which is a 40% increase over last year's numbers. So last year was historic. And now this year, we're outpacing that. This should be on the front page news of every single newspaper in this country. It should be the lead story on every single news network because an attack on police officers, attack on law and order in this country, it's a stain on our society, what's being done to our police officers out on these streets. And not enough people are talking about it. And that's just another reason why people are going to say, why am I going to take this job? It's become infinitely more dangerous and, and, and people still don't appreciate me for the work I'm doing. And, and and that's a real thing. And officers are experiencing that as well because they're seeing their brother and sister officer shot. They're seeing their brother and sister officer murder. I've been to entirely too many funerals over the last few years. That takes a toll on all of us. And for as much as we appreciate the pats on the back at the funeral that politicians like to do and people tell us how much they appreciate us, we really need that support every single day, not just when we lose one of our brothers and sisters. Yeah, and, and the public can, can certainly help with that and call their public officials and let them know with, in no, no uncertain terms that, uh, that law enforcement is number one priority to them and it will be a big factor in their decisions in the voting booth. And that's the message that needs to be given. It's that 75% of Americans that uh, want to see uh, law enforcement funded are increased. That 75% needs to be heard by public officials whose, uh, whose policies uh, in cities across this country are detrimental to the quality of life uh, within their communities. That's where it has to happen, uh, without a doubt. Joe, thank you for for joining us. Uh, yeah, I love your passion, uh, and and you know you you ask a question, uh, and I know it was a rhetorical question. Uh, uh, why would someone take this job? Um, because there's so many challenges against it, and, and I'll finish it up by saying this: people take this job because they know that there's good in this world and they want to be part of it. And uh, this too shall pass. But it's going to pass because people are committed to finding solutions to the problems. Uh, in order for us to have thriving communities, we all need to work together to do so. And uh, so I, I know I know you were you were making a point, but uh, we need we need 
the, the those that that want to be critical of what we do in law enforcement, uh, well, join us. Come on in. Come on in. We got a place for you. Help us shape law enforcement in a direction that you think it should be, but do it in an informed discussion, informed decision, because you truly understand oh, what you're talking about. Joe, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for for being a voice for law enforcement and and, and really calling out these challenges that, that we as a profession deal with, uh, and, uh, and and we're we're making a difference. I appreciate your leadership as well. And to our viewers, thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, and being part of the Blue View, where we talk about the issues that are vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up every single day in every community in America and make a difference in the quality of life of those that we've committed to serve. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of The Blue View, hosted by Patrick Yost, National President of the Fraternal Order of Police. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else to get your podcast. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. See you next time.